The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive. Some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Rameen. Hi, welcome to the show. This is Ross. Welcome back this week to The Power to Create Yourself. We're coming to you from Los Angeles, California at the Rebose Treatment Center. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. It always, always means the world to me when... Um, when I get to, you know, get feedback from all you guys from all over the world, and it uh, really makes my day. Um, today we have um, another um, episode of our client files, um, and we have Will on our show. Will's um, four and a half months sober. Will, welcome to the show, yep. man. How are you? Good, man. Good. Um, and just like all the clients, Will, that when when they come on here, I don't know anything about you. All I know is I, I've talked to your counselors, and they say you're doing a great job. Um, and that's where I tell them, I go, don't tell me anything else. I don't want to know anything else. I just want to make sure that they're, that they're, uh, you know, high and tight, or at least they're gonna, um, you know, be honest with me by that. Um, so you've been sober for four and a half months. Where are you from originally? I'm from Atlanta originally, but I have, uh, I've been out here for about two years now. Yeah. Um, how old are you? 21. Nice. So I've been out here for two years now. Um, you know, bounced around. Finally made it to Rebos. This is my third time at Rebos. So. Yeah, yeah. What, what? So heroin is your drug of choice, correct? It is. Her- shooting heroin was my drug of choice coming out to LA, and then I got put on Vivitrol, and so that made me not able to shoot heroin. And now I switched over to meth, so I shoot meth. Interesting. So you took a drug. This is. You just made my day. I, I'm sorry that happened to you, but. That's what happens. Yeah, but what do you think of it? I mean, Vivitrol. You're this is a for people that don't know what Vivitrol is. It's a drug basically that that stops your receptors in your head for you getting high from doing heroin. Correct. Correct. And you got you got on this because the doctors probably told you this might be a good idea. It'll cut your cravings, so on and so forth. And yes, it cut your cravings for heroin, but you started shooting meth. Yeah, it didn't cut. It didn't cut the cravings um, from the needle. So I mean. You know, if it dissolves, I'm involved, so. <laughs> if it dissolves, I'm involved. <laughs> God, that's so twisted, but it's so true. I get people calling me. I get people calling me all day, and they're like, my son needs to be on Vivitrol, and he needs to have these implant things in his belly, but all this. There's all of these drugs out there. You know, we're, you and I are talking because we know this so well. But there are all of these, for the listeners that don't get it, there are all of these drugs out there that no matter what you're on, that you can basically 
you know, it can substitute from the real thing to supposedly, quote unquote, stop um, cravings, um, urges, it blocks receptors in your head, so on and so forth. But it's literally just another bandit band-aid for what the real situation is basically like if it's just substitution if i couldn't shoot heroin i was gonna shoot something and like that's what happened were you just hoping for the best when you got on it yeah i i thought when i originally when i got on it i thought it was gonna be like all right cool uh, i'm not gonna have any kind of cravings for any kind of drugs and i'm just like this is gonna be like the holy grail of my sobriety wow that's what i thought and then you know, one thing led into another, and uh, the holy grail of for your sobriety. You were literally betting on something else to bring you the happiness that you needed, just like you betted on the heroin to give you what you needed. Not to sound cheesy, but I mean, hey, I'm a hope to die crackhead. I mean, I'm eighteen hundred dollars a day of crack all day long, and I love it. Okay. Um, but, and I, hey, I remember somebody telling me they had this thing when I got sober like nine, nine years ago, 10 years ago, almost now, that it was a, what, what, I can't remember the name of it, but you would get it and it would stop your urges for doing cocaine. And I asked one guy about it and I said, what do you think about me getting on this? And he's like, yeah, I guess, but I mean, it's kind of like putting a piece of tape over where the weed is growing out of your sidewalk, like. Put a piece of duct tape over that over that weed, okay? That weed is just going to start growing out the other crack and the other... Yeah, it's only going to last It's going to just try to find the sunlight, man. It's just going to keep doing that. So, all right, you. when I asked you before we started, I said, how many treatment centers have you been to? And you just kind of... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gave me the look, which is the um, international look for, I've been to way too many that I can't even count. Oh. And you're 21 years old. Basically. So let me ask you, when did you start going to treatment? Uh, well, I went to my first AA meeting when mm-hmm. I was 13. Really? Right. How'd you get there? Um, I'm an only child. And so, and my, my parents, my, my dad's an anesthesiologist. My mom is an RN. So they saw me smoking weed and they were like, uh, like, I don't know what to do. And so they like just shoved me in the direction of where they think I should have gone. And so they dropped me off at an AA meeting when I was 13. By yourself? By myself. Waited in the car outside of the meeting while I was inside by myself. Wow. And plus, so I'm an only child. Sorry. I'm an only child. Um, I was a, an in vitro baby. And so, like, I feel like I was um, up on a pedestal even before I was, like, conceived. Because my, and then my parents finally had me because they thought they couldn't have kids and then they finally had me and they like, didn't know what to do with me and so they kind of sheltered me there my whole life and so that's when I finally grew up and like you know got the balls to you know say fuck you and do my own thing that's when I kind of just went crazy wow so was weed your first thing you ever tried it was weird ever since I've been growing up um ever since I grew up my parents have always like let me taste their alcohol at dinner wherever we went and, I mean, we went From out. what age? Shit, shit, probably, like, eight, I think, was, like, the first time my dad... Really? When I was eight, I think... What nationality are your parents, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, my mom is Hawaiian, Spanish, and my dad is white. Okay. Sometimes I just... I, I just... And I ask that just for the reason, because some cultures, if you know, from French to Italian over in Europe, that's 
That's how they grew Except, up. Yeah. I mean, I took classes when I went to school at UCLA for learning how to be a drug and alcohol counselor. There was a cultural class we took. And so that's the only reason why I ask you that. It's just because in some societies is when you're treating people, you, you know, you got to really look at that, but not so much with the Hawaiian and the white yeah. and all that. No. So that's just, that was just their choice as parents. And I'm not here to judge your parents by any means. Um, so, you know, you're drinking, taking sips of alcohol from there. When was the first time you think, did, did you get high, like stoned first or did you get drunk first? I think I got drunk first. Yeah. I got drunk because, well, I got my, uh, version of drunk because I, I was like super young and like my I remember my dad had a jack and coke and i like tried to drink as much as i could before i gave it back to him when we were at dinner and you know that's not i was like 10 like that's not normal and then after that you know it, it had gone on like that for until i was 13 and then when i was 13 i smoked weed for the first time and i uh and I mean, you know, sometimes people say it's like a weekend thing. It's a whatever, whatever. It's a progression. Well, I smoked weed that first time, and then it was an everyday thing. Um, up until I started doing harder things, and that was when I was like 15. So like every day, that was how I got to sleep for two years. Well, every day. Yeah. Where you're 13 years old. Where, where are you buying weed from? My. My parents would like, my parents are very materialistic because they weren't around. And so they like literally pay me to do anything. Good grades, like anything. So you're getting the money from that. Yeah. But where are you getting it? You're 13. Oh, well, I was, okay. So um, I was on the lacrosse team. I was on the, uh, like the middle school, eighth grade, like almost JV team. Yeah. And it sounds like you grew up in a nice area. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up uh, a good, you know, a well-off family, silver spoon in your mouth. Yeah. Would you say that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was, I sometimes I think, I mean, I always have a whole bunch of what ifs. So, like, what if my, because my dad didn't have a father, so he doesn't, he thinks he doesn't really know how to be a father. And so he kind of like lets my mom deal with everything. He blames it on that. Yeah. How's your relationship with them now? It's really good. Yeah? It's actually really good. I, I um, My mom's birthday was back in February. Um, I met both of them out in Montana in Yellowstone to go snowmobiling. Nice. For her birthday, we went, you know, West Yellowstone. Went through, went through the park. Um, Dad and I had 600cc sleds just ripping through the trails. It was it was fun. Mom kind of sat You get yeah. speeding tickets in Yellowstone, they give speeding tickets like crazy. Uh-oh. Yeah. I'm, a big, was, I'm a big snowmobiler too. Yeah. It's so, so much fun. It's the best. Once you get outside the park, it's the best. Yeah. Because then you can really open it up. But when you're in the park, it's you a got, dog and pony show. Yeah, you got to go real slow. It's yeah. gorgeous. It is. It's really gorgeous. It's like, awesome. See, but you got to. I mean, you've seen Old Faithful, seen Bison. Yeah, it's the everything. best. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally the best. Um, so your relationship is good with them now. You started going to treatment. Well, you went to an AA meeting when you were 13 years old. First time I went to treatment when I was 15. 15. And that was why. Why did your parents send you at 15? Were they just, you were getting into more stuff? What was going on? Um, so what had happened was I was stealing their car every night um, and car hopping basically every night of summer. And um, on the last night of summer, 
of uh, freshman year going into sophomore year, uh, I got pulled over at night. I ended up having three ounces on me. In, of in, weed? Yeah. Yeah. In Georgia, and in Georgia at that time, each ounce is a separate felony. And so I picked up three right there. And so what my when my Why'd you get picked up? What were you doing? Car hopping. Car, what's car hopping? Like car jumping, like going around checking cars and checking garages and Really? So yeah. stealing. Stealing. You're stealing cars. Yeah. Stealing cars and like well with three ounces of weed. Yeah. So Grand Theft Auto with three ounces of weed. Yeah. At fifteen. At fifteen. In a fucking rich white suburb area. Okay. So it's like, you know. It's a 15, it's a definitely, you know, if you're stealing cars, it's a, it's a 15 year old move to bring the three ounces of weed with you. That, that's, a, that's, yeah. <laughs> like, this oh, one. <laughs> we're going to need this tonight. Like, we're going to need this much weed. Yeah. We're going to yeah. need all this weed. Um, yeah. That's like three, for the people that know what three ounces is, you're looking at like three, like what? Big sandwich bags, Ziploc yeah. bags filled. Yeah. So, all right, so you're 15 years old, you're doing Grand Theft Auto um, with three ounces of weed for the hell of it in a upper-class community of Atlanta, um, of Atlanta, correct? Um, And so you got busted for that. I got busted for that, and then um, (laughs) the cops released me to my parents, Um, and then that was when I went to treatment for the first time because my lawyer said it looked good in court, so... Um, went to a treatment out in Atlanta for, uh, 65 days, got out, um, went to court, got put on probation. And then I think that's what really like messed me up because I I was like a strict, I was strictly a weed smoker until then I got put on probation. You were in an adolescent facility. Yeah. Yeah. I was strictly, I was strictly weed until then. And then when I got put on probation, you know, I still had to get high somehow, so I did everything, and I was getting drug tested, so I was doing everything that stayed in my system the least amount of time. Mm-hmm. So that means I got into, like, Xanax, um, you know, Laura Tabs, um, started smoking Spice literally every day. Yeah. Never done that. Give you a headache? Oh, my God. I thought there was this one time where I was, <laughs> I smoked Spice at my house. And it was out on my roof. I had like a roof outside of my window. And I had smoked and I got so high, it took me two and a half hours to get back through my window back to my bed. Spice, for people that don't know, is just basically synthetic marijuana. It's synthetic marijuana where the con- they change the compounds of it every couple months because it gets outlawed, the new- the old compound. So basically, it's just, we're, we're hamsters. We're, we're tests to see if this compound gets people high. So that's what happens. Yeah. I don't think there's, I, I love it when people come in here and they tell me that weed, you know, weed grows from the earth, man. It's cool. And I'm like, Hey, I get it. Smoking weed's awesome. I loved it. <laughs> I loved yeah. it. But at the end of the day, there's nothing organic or from the earth of weed. All this place is grown in grow shops. It's all like chemically made, you know, spice is just, they're actually making it in a laboratory. I mean, yeah. the rest of it's in a laboratory as well, but it's all like, it's a grow house. It's, it's a grow house. Out. It's like, I mean, injected with more crap. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying heroin is a natural substance because it grows in poppy fields. 
Um, like sweet mother of Mary. Yeah. <laughs> or just, Coke is you know, whatever. Yeah, comes with the cocoa thing down there. They used to make Coca-Cola with it. It's great. <laughs> no big deal. You're from Atlanta. You know yeah, all about Coca-Cola. Coca <laughs> so, Atlanta, so. Yeah. Um, all right. So you've been through more rehabs than than most people before the age of twenty one. You say you've been over to over a dozen? Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. You're 21 years old and you've been over a dozen treatment centers and it's probably looking like two dozen. Yeah. It's like 22. 22. What's the longest you've ever had sober? Ten and a half months. Ten and a half months. That was when I uh, originally came out to L.A. two years ago. Um, I was talking to my sponsor the other day and he was like, okay, well, you've been out here for... You know, you've been out here for, let's say, 24 months, 23 months. About to be two years. You've probably gotten high a total of two months out of those 24 years, mm -hmm. or 24 months. And it's just like, that put, it's weird, that put it, like, into perspective. It's the 12th of the time I've been out here, but, like, I can't seem to string together. Let's get into that. Let, let me take a quick break real quick, and then... um. I want to get into that. Why can't you make this come together? I want to know why. And what do you think is causing this? Because obviously you did, you did, you did drugs to get off of drugs, mm -hmm. and that only put you into more drugs. Put me into more drugs. So anyway, everybody, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll be right back after this break. Um, if you've missed any part of this show or any of our other shows, please check us out on. Um, uh, iTunes under Ross for me, the power to create yourself. And you can check in with this show and our past shows. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients. And we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit RebosTreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. 
Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you joining us. Um, we are talking with Will, who's been sober for four and a half months, who has a hell of a story um, about how he has found his way. Um, and Will, just to give a little background on you, you basically started drinking with your with your mom and your dad, sips here and there. Um, a lot of families, a lot of kids do that, um, you know, whether they're stealing it or they're getting it um, at a really young age. Started smoking weed at 13. Um, and then you started boosting cars like Grand Theft Auto style um, and going to jail and getting in trouble, going through multiple rehabs. You've been over you've been over 20 rehabs since 15 years of age to 21 and you're 21 right now. And you, you've had 10, up to 10 months of sobriety and I'm not trying to like put you down in any way, but this is, you got a hell of a story, but you're not even having fun. I'm not even having fun. I'm not even young yet. You so. can't even like, you're not even doing drugs and like running wild. You keep getting caught. Yeah. <laughs> it just shows that you, that I'm not as successful. You're not. Guy. It's like, it's like a guy stealing TVs, you know, that keeps getting caught. Either learn how to run faster or get a new freaking job. Yeah. So what's what what are you finding out now? You during the break, you had said to me that you are kind of realizing, you know, what's real and what's not. And I, I don't know, remember exactly how you put it, but have you started to figure out? Like, I always say this to people: I think you've known that drugs and alcohol are not a good idea for probably the last ten years. You know, we all had those, you know, the, those cops that come to your school dressed up as the dog or, mm -hmm. you know, don't do drugs, th th this and that. To, yeah, yeah all, all that. that stuff. We've all known that this is not a good idea. I think you don't even have to have those programs to know that sticking a needle in your arm is probably not a good idea for the long run. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so now just knowing that is one thing. And this is where, like, you know, you have four and a half months of physical sobriety. You are not doing drugs anymore, correct? Correct. Stone cold sober. Stone cold sober. Sweet. So my next question is, how's your emotional sobriety? Do you know, you know what that is? Could you explain? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. <laughs> it's the only reason why I'm here. Um, there's physical sobriety and there's emotional sobriety. Now, emotion, physical sobriety is where you are literally physically not drinking, not doing drugs. Okay. That's where it's out of your system. That happens within anywhere from, you know, right after detox, after a week or two, the drugs are out of your system. You're, you know, they're not, you're, you could take a drug test and you're coming up clean. You know, it's not there, but why? So, but, but what happens is, is we get cravings. Now there's two types of cravings. There's physical cravings and emotional cravings. You get a physical craving, like, you know, one or two days into it, you know, your body is going through, like, the detox, you know, from heroin. You know, you're shaking, you're sweating, you're shitting, and you're swearing, okay? It's just like golf. <laughs> and so um, you go through all that. But then there's the, there's the emotional um, cravings. That's what happens when um, you start daydreaming about drugs. You start... Um, uh, glorifying them, thinking about the times you had with those girls, those guys, those uh, those places you've been to, the bars maybe you've been to or wh what have you. You're only 21, so I don't know how many bars you've been to, but you probably you probably had a fake idea, I would imagine. Yeah. So 
but you're not like a 30 year old who's been through as many bars, that type of a thing. Um, so there, there's an emotional sobriety is when you are able to control your emotions, your thoughts, and your beliefs. When people relapse, they don't trip and fall into a pile of meth, into a pile of cocaine, a big vat of, of alcohol. That just doesn't happen. You have to have a thought that triggers an urge. And that's the reason why you keep going out. So when you, you what drug were you on that? Um, Vivitrol. The Vivitrol. So you were on Vivitrol, a drug that is was specifically created to supposedly stop you from having cravings for heroin. All right. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't stop you from having a God-given emotion. Or thoughts about it. So Or a thought. You have a mind. <laughs> this thing doesn't turn you into a droid where all of a sudden you don't feel. And if you don't know how to control your emotions, you don't know how to control anything in your life. You will never have a relationship. You will never, ever, ever be able to handle money on any level if you do not know how to control your emotions. Because you'll have an you'll have an emotional impulse to buy, God knows what. Um, you will have an emotional decision to go. I need to do drugs because it's going to get me to where I'm at or where I need to be in order to get through this certain situation, whether it's a happy situation or a sad situation. You following me? So when I got sober, I went through treatment, and I said, the guy said to me, he goes, "So what are you going to do?" And I said. I don't know. I got to like, I guess I got to want to be sober more. He goes, no, it's like telling a person that, you know, that needs to lose 50 pounds that they have to hate eating cheeseburgers and ice cream. That's impossible. Just because you want to lose 20 pounds doesn't mean cheeseburgers and ice cream is going to taste bad. Just because you want to get sober doesn't mean meth and heroin and cocaine and alcohol is going to start tasting bad. It doesn't happen that way. I didn't get sober because I didn't like the sound of, of, of doing cocaine anymore. I've tried that before. It doesn't work. I got sober because I wanted to change how I think. That's what I realized after he said that to me. I realized two things. A, that is a, that, that is a, it's not regret. My past was not regrettable. I, I loved it. It was scarier than hell. It was really sad. I had some good times, but you know what? It's mine. It's my chapter in my life, whether I want it or, or not. It is what it is. But then the other part of it is I had cravings to drink and I had cravings to do drugs, but I knew that it had a life to it. And I had to get over the fact that I knew I didn't want to do this stuff anymore, but so how do I stop it? And that was my emotions or what does it? I date a chick. My emotions get the better of me and I end up doing cocaine with her. I go to like a, a Chicago Cubs game and I, my emotions get the better of me because I'll be jealous of watching all the drunk people out in the bleachers having the time of their life. I'll go to a university of Wisconsin football game and I'll get jealous emotions, jealousies, emotions. So I would always have these things. The other emotion was, is I always wanted to be happier, like, er, like happier. And you're never happy enough. Like, it's just not cool enough to be yeah. dancing on top of a table. I have to be dancing on a table with a grass skirt, like three bottles of vodka pouring in my face and like five tabs of ecstasy. It's like, you got to be happier. It's like somebody saying that they have to have a glass of wine. If they're going to watch the, the sun set because nothing you can't do it sober. 
yeah, well, it's like, God forbid yeah. you watch a sunset without a glass of wine. And I'm like, how shallow do you? I had a client once. She told me she was this really arrogant woman. She lived on Pebble Beach up oh, in God. California. Overlooked the ocean. And she told me, Ross, I'm here because I drink too much. But I'll tell you one thing, Ross. I am not going to quit drinking my white wine at sunset every night. I just won't do it. And I said, well, why is that? So, you know, so-and-so, whatever her name was. And she goes to me, she goes, because I cannot picture sitting on my balcony overlooking Pebble Beach Golf Course in the Pacific Ocean. And sometimes you see whales and dolphins jump. And I said to her, I go, so let me get this straight. Sounds like you got a beautiful home with a one hell of a you. I said, you sound really shallow because I'm kind of I get in people's faces sometimes because when they say really stupid things like that, it just drives me nuts. So she I said to her, I go, you live in a mansion with multiple balconies overlooking Pebble Beach Golf Course, which overlooks the Pacific Ocean that some days has whales and dolphins jumping out of the water is a giant ball of fire <laughs> sets as sets over this world that is hurling through the universe at a gajillion miles an hour. I said, that's why you need to make that situation better, more romantic. And she looked at me and she cussed me out so bad because <laughs> I just, I, I didn't want to make her feel bad, but she was so over the top that I had to be over the top to kind of meet her there. It's like, lady, you live in the most beautiful place on the earth. What's a glass of wine going to do to make that situation better? It's like when somebody told me that when I got married that, why aren't you going to have champagne for your wedding? Because I'm in control of my emotions enough to know that the blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl with great legs that I'm marrying, I don't need a glass of champagne to toast that night away. I don't need a glass of champagne at all in me to know that that's a good time right there. My wife's hot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't need that. And I also don't, so that's the one thing of controlling the emotions, okay? So once you get that, that's called emotional sobriety. The other half of the emotional sobriety is really being mature enough. And I always say this, there's a point in sobriety where clients have to be responsible for the maturity in sobriety. And for you, that's what it is now. Really becoming mature with who you are. And what you're not willing to do, knowing that that is drama living over in that corner and you're not going to go buy it. Because every time you get jacked up, what happens? The world crashes on you, right? What happens to you? When you drink and when you do drugs, what happens? What's the first thing that happens? You, I'm willing to bet the police are probably involved. Yeah, the police get called immediately. Um, what do you do? Do you, do you rage or I, do you... I have red outs. And red outs. What are red outs? Red outs are, I, I feel like I get it from my dad. My, my dad and I have a very volcanic anger. And so, um, you know, it'll just bubble, 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 bubble. And then we'll fucking just have a red out. You just like, go sideways. I, you I, don't even know what happens. I go psycho. I like, I literally red out and you know, it, I, I, it's just not a, it's not good. So let me, so Okay, that's fine. I get it. I'm sorry you get to that level, but you know it. But I know it, yeah. You know it. Now, the way that you stay away from that is just, you know, you got to play the, the, the tape forward. You've got four and a half months of sobriety. And this next four and a half months for you are going to be really wild, really great. But in the first six, six, 
six to nine months, you have a lot of ups and downs, peaks and valleys, happies and lows, because your body's literally, it's going to take a year to really um, kind of mellow out because your day should be just kind of like rolling hills of emotion, not these jagged Rocky Mountains ups and downs really quick. It should just be rolly kind of hills, you know, just happy, you know, just kind of cruising. Not flatline, because that's like, bleh, you know, yeah. you're you're an emotional guy, you can tell. I mean, if you go red and you're also, you know, smiling and laughing, you got emotions, man. You got a lot to give. But just like anything else, I mean, it's kind of like your bike. You got a great motorcycle, don't you? Yeah. It's faster than snot. Faster than shit. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, that's. But you know when to pull it back. Exactly. You are that motorcycle. But you're driving in, you know what, your motorcycle corners like it's on rails, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what happens if you took your motorcycle off-roading? I would eat shit immediately. Yes, immediately. So, life is this big squiggly line road that goes through there, and you're driving yourself like a Bronco, right up the middle, bottoming yourself out, wiping out constantly. So, emotional sobriety for you is learning how to drive. Yeah. You are a Ferrari. You are, but you're driving yourself like a Bronco and you're overheating, you're bodying yourself out and your wheels keep falling off. That's what it is every day. You don't go off road. You don't need to because you can take that corner faster than anybody, but you got to learn how to drive and you can stay on the road and you can still skid out on that road because if you take that corner too sharp or too coming in too hot, you're screwed. You'll end up in the dirt. Every time. And you don't just go into the dirt and, like, touch the dirt. You do a barrel roll. Yeah. A roll, at least. I mean, literally, like. And it I, costs tens of thousands of dollars to get you out of it. I roll. I'm, I rolled my car last June. Three times. When I was in Vegas. So, you know, that just shows you the experience. And you survived it. I survived it. I don't think I would have survived it if, if I wasn't were, fucked up. Of course not. You were like a rag doll in there. Yeah. You survived it because of that. And so something... My higher power, you know, I is has he's in fucking working overtime this past couple of years, looking out for me. So you got that makeup for that kid that will die totally by accident. You got that. I average three deaths a week that I hear about. Yeah, three, and they all have the same exact thing in common. They have you. I'm not just saying that because you're here and I'm trying to spook you. No, you're it. They all die by accident. Yeah. They all do. It's like I couldn't kill myself with drugs, but some fucking freak accident will. It's what's going to happen, but it's going to be a drug-related death. Yeah. I do. I hear about very few suicides. I hear about people that just run too hot that are just scared to learn how to drive themselves. You were like, you got the whole thing going for you, man. You're a good-looking kid. You're obviously very smart. You got the package, man. And you're just going to... Let's take a break real quick, and I want to find out what you're doing now differently than what you had the last 10 months. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're talking with Will right now, um, who's got four and a half months sober. Will runs hot, but uh, we're trying to teach him how to run hot in a good way now um, so he can be more efficient because this kid is a Ferrari driving himself like a Bronco. Um yeah, well, I just want to figure out what you're doing now, man. Because uh, I think you kind of got the look in your eye of, like, you want this now. You're kind of over it. I think you do. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining us. We'll be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us today. If you want to hear more about um, our treatment program we got here, you can go to rebos, R-E-B-O-S, treatment.com and find out more information about our services that we provide here out in Los Angeles. Um, we get people that come from all over the world um, to come to get help with us, and uh, we'd love to answer any questions for you. So please go on our website, check us out. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Ramin. Um, and again, if you've missed any of this show or would like to hear any of our other shows, uh, please check me out on Apple iTunes, um, and you can look under Ross Ramin, The Power to Create Yourself. We are joined by Will, um, who is um, he's jacked up in the best possible way. Uh, in the best possible way, you really are. You seem energized. You know, obviously, I don't talk to you a heck of a lot, but you just got a vibe about you that you're pumped. I'm, I mean, I'm pumped, dude. Everything everything is – or not everything is different, but the the very little things are different about my sobriety this time, and that much, that's what makes it a huge difference. What do you mean little things? I, I, I think I know what you mean because the little things for me changed my life. What is it for you? Yeah, the little things are like I – I went to I went to detox back in in December, um, and you know my Will's will told me to go straight to IOP right after I got out of detox. Whose will? My will. My will told me to go straight to de- uh, out of detox, straight into IOP, back to the same sober living I was at, back into the same environment, back to everything, and you know I, I wasn't grown, I wasn't raised to you know, give in. But sometimes when I got out of detox, I had to give in to what people who knew what was best for me. And I had to, I had to go with their suggestions. And so I did a 30 day residential right after detox, which I didn't want to do. But in the, in the back of my mind, I knew that was literally what was going to help me this time because 
you know, going back to the same people, same places, same things, you're you're gonna get the same results. So, um, I went to I went to residential for a month, and I came out. I went to an all male sober living. You know, what came back to came back to Rebos, and I've been I've been and I got out. I've been going to the gym every single day. The gym is super important. I have a sponsor that. He, he and I have a more of a, a business relationship, not uh, a, like a friendship. That's great. Because it's business. It, it's business. Sobriety is your business. Sobriety is my business. Sobriety is my life. Sobriety, it's a life or death kind of situation. He tells you what you don't want to hear. He tells me exactly what I don't want to hear. And he tells me situations that are similar that he's been through that with my situations that I'm going through, he doesn't tell me what to do, which is cool. And I, I respect, I respect him a lot. And, um, you know, I, I've had, I've had friendship sponsorship relationships in the past. And, you know, if he's my friend, I'm gonna tell him to fuck off when he tries to tell me to do something like straight up. And me, me and my sponsor now, um, it's 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 business. It's strictly business. We meet up, we do work, and we go on our way. And How'd you find this guy? Meeting. I know, but like, what made you go? That's the dude I want. I want to mentor me. That's the dude I want to sponsor me. Well, I've never had a book thumper as a as a sponsor before, and I was in a meeting one day, and he just quoted like a paragraph from the big book, and I was like, "That's cool as shit." Like, I don't know anything. It's the manual. Yeah. I don't know anything that well enough to quote that much out of whatever. And I was like, that's cool shit. Like, I want to be able to, like, do that. I want to be able to, like, regurgitate information from the big book and actually, like, speak on it and, you know, break it down. And, I mean, he was helping people that wasn't even his, like, his sponsees in the meeting. Like, he was, like, just being of service. And I think that's cool. Like, and, like, when I grew up, my mom and I, uh, there's like this. Pro- it's called Project Open Hands in Atlanta, and we go and like deliver food to dialysis yeah. patients and like cancer patients, and like that's that's like it's giving back in a different way, but it's like giving back and like. So what do you do now to give back? Like what do you? Because that's a big deal. What you know, I was like, when you get to a certain point, the idea of being sober to me kind of gets kind of molded with being a productive human. Yeah, it's just it's it's literally guidelines drink, of being but, yeah. a, a good person, a productive person in society. Yeah, that's what like that's the life that I live now. People are like congratulations on not doing cocaine for ten years. I say it's more like congratulations on just being a productive human being. Exactly, like not being a like a thorn in society's side. Not being a menace to society. Yeah, it's just like you know what help somebody in this world. Say hi to somebody that you don't know. Like I saw. A, I saw a mom and her baby getting in the car, like, across the street from my house. Never been in for it. Just said, good morning. Like, just be nice. Just being, like, a, a good human being. Exactly. And, like, <laughs> I don't know. All throughout my addiction, too, like, I my I feel like my core values and my, my – well, I mean some of my core values left. But, like, I would be in the car going to pick up dope and, you know, only having whatever amount of money but seeing someone on the side of the street with a sign and, like, you know, I give them – like 10 bucks five bucks whatever it is and it's just like but then it's like 
I do that and then I go pick up my drugs and so it's like okay I don't I don't know if I was doing that to like justify me going to pick up drugs or whatever but like even I mean now to this day like if I see someone on the side of the road I will you know give them whatever I have and if I I'll buy them whatever like I'd ra- I'd much rather buy them food and buy them buy them drinks and give them money buy them but- food don't buy them give them money yeah and also treat them like and I no disrespect to anybody that's out there begging or anything but Treat them like the way that your sponsor treats you. Yeah. You know? You give them a sandwich or something like that, but once you give them food, or once you give them money, it's, it's a nightmare. Exactly. You know, because I know what I would do with it. Yeah, I, I know what I did with it when I was <laughs> that person. So, like, yeah. you know. I, I. So, describe who you are. Describe who you were. And, basically, describe who you don't want to be. Well, who I was, uh, I was... No, describe who you don't want to be. Oh, who I don't want to be, who I... The person I don't want to be is the people who... Or the person people don't want to be around. So I want... you know, And, like, I want to be... I want to be a good son to my parents. Honestly, I, I want to... Um, because I think I feel for like the longest time I haven't lived up to my parents' expectations, and I just um, I want them to be happy for me, and I like they're happy for me now, even though I'm not doing what they they wanted me to do. Um, they have come to terms with knowing that this is my life, and they can't control my life, so they. I've come to terms with it, and they've accepted it, and they are super supportive now, and, you know, it is, it's cool. It's a cool relationship that we have now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what's your goal about who you want to be? Like, in the sense of, like, you have to have, I would say there's three, you said something just a second ago that sparked this question. I get you don't want to be a menace of society and all that, but I always say there's three or five, three to five things that every person should have their core fundamental values that no matter who they date, who they marry, where they go to work, they will always have those. They're uncorruptible. They defines you. It's not because in this world, and I don't care who you marry in this world, man, woman, Anybody out there, goldfish, dog, whatever you want, who, where you work at, you have to have something that is you that can't be in there because otherwise you're living somebody else's life. You're living the life of your spouses. You're living the life of your employers or you're living the life of your employees. Um, what, what do you think are your, everybody should have no more than five, no less than three values that make them who they are. What do you think yours are? Like respectable, good, respected, loyal, trustworthy, and powerful. And no matter what, no matter what, you can't change those. So, regardless of what happens, those those are mine. You can't mm-hmm. change them. You know, oh, I. You could probably, if if you, you know, as you think about that, think about that tonight a little bit, because maybe even define them closer. Like I'm a non-drama person. You know, I don't stick, I don't go to drama because you like drama. Yeah. I mean, you take drugs away. The second thing people are not people. What's the first thing you do when the drugs get taken away? What do you do? Start drama, start drama, mix up, stir up the pot, you know, 
just that that becomes the next the new uh, addiction is just who's you know who's fucking who uh who isn't fucking who um just everything and that's what that's the new thing there's a whole side world to drugs yeah i mean it's like great you take away the drugs i mean i literally didn't do certain drugs because of the ritual behind them i didn't like it it's like i tried to smoke meth but and uh, and i would have done it and i did it but i didn't like how you got high from it because i just i liked how you smoked crack i liked how you made it like how you did it it's like getting a bad bag of weed you know mm-hmm. you getting out the stems and the seeds you yeah. know there's like kind of a yeah it's shitty weed but there's like a whole thing to it you know like you're just kind of doing it you yeah. know you got your way there's a ritual on how you do things there's also a ritual when you that's like part of just when you're not doing drugs what you do you take away the drugs you can still act like a drug addict even though you're not doing drugs exactly you can still act like an alcoholic even though you're not drinking yep. call them dry drunks so that's what we face on a daily basis. You being, try not, I mean, that's your biggest thing. Every single day, go through your day. Like, how do I not be a drug addict? How do I not be a scumbag today? So How do I not become a scumbag? You should have a t-shirt with that made. <laughs> let me know when I'm a dick. <laughs> Please, let me. Let I don't me. have a kick piece out of my back. I have a son that says, let me know if I'm a dick. Yep. I mean... It's what it is. It is, yeah. I mean, it is what it is, man. Like I, I, I just to, to. I mean, today it's like I'm trying to get out of self. What's your goal though for the? So what's your next step? You're four and a half months sober. Four and a half months sober. Um, what's I'm your try- next thing you want to accomplish? I just uh, declare residency in California, or I'm about to declare residency when I go to the DMV. And once I do that, what I ultimately want to do is go back to school. Um, for what? Become a teacher and coach high school across. Really? Good for you. So, I mean, that's I, I, I came out here. I've already coached uh, three different lacrosse teams. All it's the, making its way across the Mississippi. The, yeah, lacrosse, I mean, it's... It really is. It's, 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 it's down in San Diego right now. It's big down there. It's finally coming up to L.A. Um, you know, I've coached two U13 and U15 lacrosse teams out here. Um, and that, I, that's what I want to do. Like, I love... I love being around kids and, and, and teaching them and I love being around the sport itself and if um, you know if, if teaching is the way to make that possible for high school like that's what I want to do it's pretty cool so what's your next step to make that happen uh, go back to school once. I know but so what I mean what do you have to apply or where are you at yeah I have to apply um, when, when is your goal to start class fall fall so what are you going to do all summer? I have no plans for summer. You're going to get know, a job? I, yeah. I have a job now. What I, do you I, do now? I work at Robbery, which What's is like a, like a superfood yogurt shop really? off of Santa Monica. Nice. Which is cool. And I'm also teaching swim lessons for kids. Really? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so four and a half months ago, you were hope to die drug addict, and now you're helping kids. You want to go to school. You've been through over 20-some-odd treatment centers. You were jacking cars with three ounces of marijuana in the back of them. That was really that was one of my favorite highlights of this whole thing. Real smooth. Uh, <laughs> and um, started drinking when you're about give or take eight years old, and over twenty some odd treatment centers. Later, I'm here. And now you're here, trying to become somebody that you don't want to be. 
trying to become trying to do the opposite of who you used oh, to yeah, be. Oh yeah, yeah. Trying to be a whole different person. Trying so, to trying to change everything. Yeah. Right on, man. It's not easy. It's not. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's just what life is. You just got to get through it. Yeah. Every day you're gonna have somebody throwing a curveball at you. Just got to know, you know, what to swing at and what not. And I think I think it's good because for uh, for the longest time I've always been like a people pleaser, and this time I'm like, fuck you. If you if you're not making me happy or like adding to my, you're society, pleasing yourself now. It sounds like. Yeah. If you're not if you're not making me happy or if I don't like your company or whatever, uh, you can fuck off. Like I'm done trying to make everyone happy. You could be as arrogant as you want to about that. You could be arrogant about your sobriety and protective too. I used to tell people when I was in treatment, I'd say, "Do not stick anybody in my house that does not want this, because I will chew them up." I am, I am literally like, I'm on a mission right now, and these people, if they don't want sobriety, forget it. I don't want them near me. It's the same thing for me. I mean, I fucking. I pick and weed out the people that I feel like aren't very serious, and I stay the fuck away from them. You got to. Because I mean, it's just like losing twenty pounds. You got to get that food out of your house. That's the that's the junk food. Exactly. You got to, otherwise, it's gonna mess with your head. And the people you surround yourself with tell more about yourself than absolutely anything. Hey, thanks for joining me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're an inspiration, man. Don't jack it up. Keep the little things. That's all you got to do every day. Just try to hit a single every day. You don't have to try to hit a home run. Yep. You'll be good. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next week. Be safe. Be good to yourself. Talk to you. Thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition with Ross Rameen on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.